Well, good morning. We all ready for Christmas yet? No, not, I don't see very many yeses, not at all. Um, I, was, I still think it's amazing that you can watch you know, some crazy, you know, obscure bowl game, like the Poulon Weed Eater Independence Bowl or whatever it was, and then you can shop on Amazon and buy things. And I did that yesterday. I just thought that was weird. And it's an interesting season we're in in our, in our yeah, just this time in 2018, what you can do. And we're Christmas shopping on my couch. Um, as we think about Christmas, uh, this whole theme has been hope. And hopefully that uh, this theme has, uh, you've been able to digest this idea of uh, confident assurance while you wait. Uh, because that's why you need hope. We talked last week that if you are waiting on something minus hope, so if you are waiting on something, you're asking God for something. I know many of you are. You're, you know, you're looking, God, do this, please. I'm waiting on this. What you hope in right, determines uh, kind of the, the uh, state of things as far as what you hope for. How you hope in God right, def- dramatically affects what you hope for and how you hope for. And if there are those of you that are waiting and you don't have hope, here's what we know. Life is unbearable. If you are waiting for something and you do not have hope, life for you probably right now, uh, maybe in one particular area, maybe holistically, life can be very unbearable. And so what we want to talk about um, this whole theme is what would it mean for you this morning to feel, to experience, to think about the thrill of hope? What if you got to experience that this morning? Um, And as as we look at this passage, we're going to be looking at um, Mary. Um, and uh, when the angel came to her. But I want you to think about this before we go there. Um, I I want you to think about this idea of uh, a benefit of having hope. Because when you think about the birth of Jesus, Luke 1, the preamble starts with the angel coming to who? Elizabeth. That's what we talked about last week. And then, right after Elizabeth, the angel comes and talks to Mary. That's that's Jesus' birth. Now, Fast forward all the way to his resurrection. Who does Jesus come to first after he uh, rises again from the dead? Mary Magdalene. It was Mary Magdalene's uh, responsibility to tell the disciples. So you think about Jesus' birth. It was a woman. Uh, It was Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and then immediately Mary during the birth, getting ready for the birth, two women. And then when he rises again, it's, hey, I'm going to show myself to uh, Mary Magdalene. Um, When you think about that... um, you know, Mary Magdalene being kind of a mental uh, patient, if you will, at first. It says demons uh, were, were pulled out of her, right? When you think about that in, a, uh, in the context of this story that we're going to look at, uh, God comes into the world through what? Through the womb of a, of a poor, unwed, Jewish teenage girl. And so you think about that, and we, we think about, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean for him to talk about women and here's what we know about women in those days. They were marginalized. Um, we know that they were taken out of power. We know women were oppressed. We know that if, you, um, if a woman had a testimony as to some court, uh, court case, you know what? It was inadmissible in court. So uh, a woman's testimony was absolutely inadmissible. Uh, ultimately saying what? You can't really trust them, right? You cannot trust uh, them, women. And so here, when you think about how God comes, how he comes and, and talks to us, um, 
God is deliberately working with what? Working with people that the world can um, despise. If the first witnesses of the nativity and the resurrection are women, and the world says at that time you cannot trust them, um, what do you do with that? Now, in our day and age, we don't look at women that way um, or despise them. Hopefully, you know, we don't. Um, But when you just take that idea, part of Christmas, part of living in hope says this. Christmas is the end of what? Arrogance, if you will. Christmas can be the end of your arrogance, can be the end of any type of condescension in your life. It can be the end of any pretension in your life. When you think, um, oh, Christmas, uh, you know, it doesn't apply to that kind of person. Um, Because maybe you don't despise women, but I bet you have trouble with some type of person. I bet you I have trouble. You, you know, you, you may be a, not be a racist, but you may be someone who what? Who despise racists. You may not be a bigot, but you have certain people who you think they're the people who are where all the problems are in the world. You know, when Martin Luther thought about the nativity, he said this. Do you know what a stable smells like? <laughs> he says this. Do you know what the family would have smelled like after the birth and they went out into the city? <laughs> What Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus would have, would have smelt like. If you were standing uh, next to them, you would have probably had some choice words for them. I was a few weeks ago at, at a Bucks game standing in line, crushed with people that were sweating, you know? And you're just like, you smell. <laughs> like, you're, you're a smelly person. I probably did too, but I'm thinking, you smell, and I don't like you right now, right? <laughs> like, I just don't like you. You smell. This is weird, and I want out of this. <laughs> um, but when you, look about, when you look at this idea, um, I want you to see Christ as what? Christ, uh, I want you to see Christ in the neighbor who you tend to despise or maybe the race that you don't like or the personality profile that you don't want to deal with or the class of person that you tend to despise or think this about. Christmas is the end of that because Christmas is telling us you can never what? You, any of us, can never get to heaven. You can never get to heaven What? Heaven had to come to you. That's what Christmas tells us. And so when you think uh, of salvation, it comes to who? It comes to those who are willing to admit that they are weak. And so um, maybe you can think of hope and a benefit of Christmas um, is if you struggle with having the inability to have a relationship with this type of person. Christmas says to you, you can get over that. Hope says you can grow in love for that person because hope destroys those barriers. It does a lot of things, but it ultimately will say, I, I can, I can um, rip through any classism, right? I can take a crippled boy, a uh, young boy, put him, on my, put him on my shoulder, and he would be on the shoulder of what? Of an old rich guy, right? Tiny Tim on the, on the shoulder of Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, hope, Christmas can rip through any classism, social, you know, whatever it uh, may be, and uh, give us hope and give us love. Um, and so, um, Christmas is and hope are an amazing resource that I want us to hopefully um, apprehend this morning. But, when we look at Mary, here's what, here's what I want us to think about. I want us to look at the story of Mary as what? As the building blocks of hope, because hope takes sweat. For you to live and to experience the thrill of hope, when you watch Mary in this, in this particular passage, um, 
She works at it. She works at hope. And some of us think, well, I'm just going to decide. It's just going to hit me. No, no. We don't, we, that, that, that's not the truth of hope, particularly when you look at someone uh, like Mary. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke uh, chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 26, okay? And we're going to look at Mary kind of as this template, uh, these building blocks for hope in your own life. Because we've talked a lot about, you know, the importance of waiting in hope. But what does it look like for you to, uh, if you don't feel hope, if you don't experience hope, to grow in that this morning? Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the uh, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now here's her response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. What is going on here? I mean, I think about... You know, literally, it was a month ago, and I was in Nazareth, and I was right here at her house. And you know, right now, the way it stands, 98% of the population of Nazareth is Muslim, right? And so, I'm just thinking, if you are one of the 2% there um, that is, you know, Jewish or Christian, you're sitting there thinking, like, what's the truest story of the world? What is it? Is it the story of Muhammad and Allah? Is it the story of Genesis to Malachi, the Jewish story, still waiting for the Savior? Or is it the story of the Old and the New Testament? Which story is real? And so when Mary, it says this, when Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. That doesn't feel like hope right there, but it's the beginning of hope. What do we see her do? The the Greek word for wondered is diologizomai, diologizomai say that five times very fast. What does that mean? It means in order to start the process of hope, what do we need to do? You need to what? Think furiously. You need to analyze a situation and see it logically. What, what this means is she's sitting there and she's saying to herself, is this a hallucination, right? Is this a dream? I need to analyze what is happening here. Out of nowhere, an angel appeared to Mary. And if she is going to work this through, if she is going to be a hardworking Christian, right? A faithful Christian. um, She is thinking, okay, what are the possibilities here? Am I seeing things? Um, And if you think about the way in which it's written, if this is a legend, right? If you're going to write a legend, if you're Luke, you would write it like this. And an angel appeared unto Mary and said, Greetings, hail. Then what Mary would say would be this. Well, I am the Lord's servant. No, that's not what it says. When you write a story in the real world, you say, am I seeing things? You, ponder, you wonder and you ponder. Because Mary is reacting just the way you would react. And I think the way I would react. There are a lot of people maybe in this room who say, well, you know, I'm a modern skeptical person and back then people were primitive and they believed in these things, but I'm different. And I want to say, no, you know, you know you're not. And don't, don't, don't hide behind that line. Mary is reacting like we would. 
She is trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Did I eat something? Is there a flashback? What, what is going on here? How do I account for this data? How, you know, what am I supposed to do here? Because if you're in the Greco-Roman world, here's what we know. and You've heard this before. The whole idea of uh, the world, things tangible, right? Flesh, right? Anything flesh, anything that you can really touch, it's this. Plato um, and Socrates said, you have the world of the forms, and everything up there is perfect. And then you have the real world, the tangible world. Anything that deals with matter, it's evil. So that w- this wouldn't be like a cultural thing that was just kind of by osmosis applied to Mary and her thinking, you know, God could become man. No, it, it wouldn't be that way at all. And imagine, she is, she is Jewish. For a Jew... You had the holy of holies. Just to think that, I mean, you couldn't even say the word Yahweh unless you were the priest, right? You, you couldn't even utter that word. And for God to become man did not make any sense. And all of this stuff is going through her head. And she's trying to analyze, okay, God, what are you doing? What is true? Is this part of the process, right? Is this part of the process that you go through? Um. Because, you know, there would be a number of huge cultural and intellectual uh, kind of obstacles that she would have to go through. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about believing in Christianity. He says this, the reason I believe in Christianity is because nobody is brilliant enough or crazy enough to have thought this up, right? I mean, if you're just thinking, no one is brilliant or nuts, you know, either way to think up, you know, this story. And so, when you hear people say, um, you know, maybe, and I do have this, you know, people that say, you know, I, I uh, just wish I could believe. I just wish, um, you know, I have a sister who believes, but I can't. I have a brother who believes, but you know what, Frank? I can't believe. And I think, you know, what they're saying is, it hasn't hit me. And what this tells you is this, it doesn't just hit you. When you're talking about faith and when you're talking about hope, it starts with thinking. It's not, if you're just waiting for a lightning bolt to come and just say, this is it. No, we are called to use our mind. And so here's the question. If you're struggling with hope and you don't want to, you know, the sweat of hope is here. Are you willing to think like Mary is thinking right now? Are you willing to reason? Are you willing to admit when you have no better way to account for the data in your life? Like, why do these people believe? You have to think. And so some may say it this way. Faith is what? Faith is more than thinking, but it surely isn't less than thinking, right? It always takes thinking. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What does she do after she thinks? Here is God saying, um, You are going to have a kid in your stomach, and you are a virgin, right? And you are going to have a baby inside of you. Um, What does she do next? What is the process of hope? 
you know, Mary's uh, process, we see the second thing we see is hope needs this. It needs some honest doubting because what, what's, her, what's her line? Verse 34 says this. How will this be? There, there's some honest doubt right there. Wait, wait. You're telling me that I'm going to have a baby in my... If I'm supposed to be hopeful... I got to be honest, I'm thinking about this and I'm trying to come up with it, right? I'm using my logic, right? But now when you say this, I don't even see this. I'm going I'm to honestly doubt. And I just want to make this distinction. There are some people that doubt um, and then they say, uh, how can this be? Yeah, right, never. But it's proud and you can feel it when they say it. Maybe you've been there before. You're cynical. You're cowardly. Why? Because you don't want to know. If you're honest with yourself, when you enter into doubting, and not honest doubting, but kind of a doubting that says, I'm going to doubt because I don't even want to deal with it, right? I'm going to use doubt to keep me away from God. That's not the doubt that we're talking about here. Because there's another way that Mary um, asks honestly and says, I doubt that. (laughs) My dad told me the birds and the bees talk. Like, I doubt that. I just don't like what's going on here. But it's not cynical. It's not prideful. And there's this characteristic of of, of a bravery and humility in working it out. The sweat of hope, it requires you to think. And if you just want it to hit you and and it it to be easy, it's not. You think. And then when, you know, kind of he takes it to the next level, you honestly begin to doubt and he says, ultimately, we see, he, he says, there's nothing, um, or, there's nothing that's impossible with God. But see, she was asking these questions. And she got into a process. And my question to you is, have you gotten into that type of process with the Lord? Have you really thought and, and, and analyzed? And then when you bring it to him, you said, okay, you know what? Um, I doubt in a God who's loving and can I allow this type of evil that we've seen, right? How can, a, how can a God be loving and allow 9-11 to happen, right? How can a God be loving and allow cancer to happen to my life? How, you know, you fill in the blank. There's a way to ask that and reject God and not even want him to answer any of those questions. But there's another way that you're honestly searching for hope. And it's the process of hope that says, I'm going to think, but now I'm going to take it to the next level because I've got to doubt this at some level. Have you ever doubted the veracity of Scripture? And, and really, really uh, dug into the case for Christ? Like, did, was there a resurrected Jesus? It takes thinking, it takes some doubting, and, and some of uh, you, you, know, you discovering. And that's what Mary's doing here. She's saying, you know what? Okay, you know, God, angel, how can this be? Um, I am, um, I am a virgin, right? And here's what the angel says back to her. Here's your answer. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For what? For no word from God will ever fail. I know you have doubts. And I know you don't see how this can happen. You are just betrothed. 
you are not married. But something supernatural is going to happen to you. Um, and you have a choice now, right? You're asking the question and God is answering it. And he's answering it with the backing of my word never, ever fails. You ask those questions, you analyze it, and you doubt, and you don't know how it's going to happen. And then God comes to you and he says, this is the way it's going to happen. And I know that does not seem logical. That, that's going to require a ton of faith. But hope needs the process of thinking. Hope needs the process of doubting. And then the Holy Spirit, or the angel, gives her this answer. And verse 38, what's Mary's answer to that? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So once you get the the thinking process, maybe some of you are here, and, and you get the doubting process, and you're asking these questions, and she has responded back, okay, I'm your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled in Five verses, Mary sings this beautiful song. It's one of the, you know, Mary, the Mary Magnificat. And that's her, her, her praise and worship and her yes, I, I trust you, right? That's her, or her kind of her, her salvation experience, if you will, in, in placing all her hope in God. But after she's done the thinking, after she's done uh, some of that doubting, you got to let that process happen. What does she need next? I mean, before she can sing, right? What are, what are the things that she needs uh, next to build up and kind of have this full-bodied hope? Well, we see the very next thing is this. It needs community. She needs people around her. She needs a community because it says the very next verse. At that time, what did Mary do? Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, how can this be, right? Nothing is impossible with God. And you know what? Go see Elizabeth. Right? You need to hear this for your doubt. Nothing is impossible with me. But go find a friend. You do not do Christianity by yourself. Read the Bible. You, you show me any example of a Christian who is called to do it by themselves. And that is, I think, uh, rampant in uh, evangelical Christianity is all of us feel like we need to be the lone ranger. And she goes, she needs to go and she needs a sister. And she has to talk with Elizabeth. She doesn't break into song yet. She has to process it with Elizabeth. No one comes to God without also coming into community. And I feel like you could slip into West Town, slip in and out, read a few books, kind of hang out, keep people away, but you miss out. You miss out on a hope being established. Like I've told you guys this before. When I was in ninth grade, that's when my first small group happened. And five of us are there. Three of us are pastors. One of us is an, an elder, and the other guy walked away from the faith. But that's because Craig, our leader, um, kept us in community and asking us things like, okay, Frank, what, is it, what does hope look like when you're in a relationship with a girl in high school? What does hope look like when you're, you, know, you feel this expectation from your dad and your mom to get these kind of grades or to behave explicitly this way? 
What does hope look like? How are you going to deal with it? And God gave me this gift of community. It isn't just going to work you by yourself. Because some of you are asking awesome questions and pursuing hope and thinking and doubting. But you need some people in it with you. you I mean, really in it with you. Some, some close friends, some other you know, dads, some brothers in your faith, some other moms um, to work out what does hope look like for you, Mary? Elizabeth, what is it like for you to be an older lady, right? To be an older lady and now you won't have shame, <laughs> Elizabeth, and you felt shame the entire time. Imagine this for Mary. She goes to Elizabeth, much older lady, and says, and says uh, Mary goes to Elizabeth, you know you are going to have a kid and the shame of not having a kid is going to be erased. And you know what I have right now? <laughs> I've got a baby in my stomach and I'm bringing shame to my family because people think we've had sex out of wedlock. Tell me how you deal with shame, Elizabeth. You've been dealing with it for how long? I am dealing with it right now. I, Joseph and I have never been together. Teach me how to, as an as a older sister in the faith, deal with the shame. And so we see here, God says, go into community, Right? I've got John the Baptist coming six months early, and then I've got Jesus coming. You're at the same spot when you know and are like-minded, whether brothers and sisters in the faith, you need them. Because you need to work this out in in relationships. So the baby uh, leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. What's the last um, element of hope? When you're working out hope, what's... whoa? That's my phone. That was weird. Sorry. Oh, my word. That's awkward. (laughs) So, what's the last stage? Here it is. Um, Here's here's Elizabeth kind of seeing what she sees in her sister. Um, In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she, Mary, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The last step, right? You're working this out. You're thinking. You're hopefully doubting. You are in community. And what what does Elizabeth testify that Mary did? She, hope requires, hope requires that what? That you fully surrender. And you say, okay, I, I can wait now because my surrender is totally to you, Lord. Now think about this. What are parents allowed to give to their kid? Parents are always allowed to give what to their kid? A name. That's the great right. If I'm a parent, I get to name my kid. I get to say this is what they're going to be called. And because you're older and because hopefully we're more mature and you're in charge, but Jesus, right? Jesus is the first person ever born who was what? Who was older than his parents. What the angel is trying to say is, look, Mary, this baby inside of you, you don't manage him. He's going to manage you. You want him in your life. You're not going to manage him. He is going to manage you. I know lots of people say this. I'd like to become a Christian, 
But does that mean I'm going to have to drop my girlfriend or my boyfriend because they're not really big on faith, right? Does, does becoming a Christian mean I'm going to have to spend less money on myself because I really like this activity or I really like that activity? Does, is that, you know, I'd like to become a Christian, but do I really have to do this or do I really have to do that? And some of you are asking that. And, and you're doing this like it's a cost-benefit. I get it. It's a cost-benefit analysis of what's going on. But here's what ultimately we're saying when we do that kind of thing. We say this. I'd like to give God the lordship of my life as long as I can stay in control. I want to give lordship to God, but I would like to stay in control. And so at some point, you have to say, you know what? I, I don't even know what's, what it's going to bring. I don't even know, but the fact is because of all he has done for me, because God loved me enough to send his only son, right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Because that, because he did that, I give up control. I say, I am no longer the Lord of my life. I am now the servant. It takes surrender, and that is hard. It's, it's the leap of faith. And some of you, you, you know what? You have done the investigating. And you know what I think you know? You know that the Bible is trustworthy. I do. I believe you know that. And I think you, you see other people living out their Christian faith. And I don't think you think they're perfect, but you know that there's something different about them. You know that they still sin, but there's a joy and a peace that they have that you want. And, and, and you've doubted, but you know, through people that, that have claimed their need for grace and your study of, of God... Um, and, and you've probably even done it and asked questions in community. But now it's time, right? It's time to say, okay, you know what? I feel like I'm maybe, I'm just stalling right now. And God is saying, look, you know, you know tons about me, but you don't know me yet. You know all the facts that you need to know, but you don't know me in a personal relationship. And this, and Mary is saying, you know, to God, I am all yours I will have a son, right? And that's awesome. And I will live in shame. And I will go 90 miles to Bethlehem, right? And then I will flee to Egypt. Whatever you want from me, I will do all of that. When Herod tries to kill all the boys under two years old, I will do all that. I'm willing to surrender. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is she who knows how to wait because she's got hope and she's thought and she's doubted and she's been in community and now here she's doing what? She is saying, all right, I surrender. And some of you will say, well, you know what? I've tried, um, I've tried and I can't believe Um, But the only thing that leads you to do it is when you see what? When you understand and see that he gave his life for you. That's the only way you can give your life back to him. When you fully see that he gave his life all his life to you. He lived an entire life to walk to his very death so that you won't have to experience that. That you can live eternally. And Mary was saying, okay, yeah, I can see where I'd want to manage this thing. I don't want to have a kid in a stable. You know what? I don't want to have to see my kid die. Who wants to have to bury their own kid? But whatever it is, God, I don't manage you. You manage me now. That's it. 
I'm ready for that. Some of you are making decisions in your life and you have to make that decision. Okay, my hope is in him. Because once you do, I believe this, once you do, once you fully give it to him, once you give your money over to him, once you give your wife over to him or your husband over to him or your kids over to him and you say, I am not going to manage this thing anymore because that's, that's all I think about. You manage me, God. You, I'm surrendering my whole life. And some of you, I know, you're just scared. Some of you in this room, I know, you say, okay, I know I'm not a Christian. Well, can you at least admit this then, that you're a seeker? That you're seeking this? That you're seeking true hope because everything else is elusive? What, do you, what are we called to do? How, how, do we live, how do we live this way? He wants you to get near to him and to let go and to authentically, absolutely to surrender. Because once you do that, here's what I believe you will get. You will get a thrill of hope. You will feel that. You will live that. The thrill of hope. That doesn't mean that it's not scary. That doesn't mean that it's not going to challenge you. But the thing and the truest thing, the steadiest thing, the most eternal thing in your life is to give your life again all the way over him. And he says, the sweat of this thing is thinking. It's honestly doubting. You can't subvert the process. You can't short circuit the process. You have to build it. But once you do it, the last piece is this surrender. Once you do that, though, here's what. I think the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And God's life will be born in you. And that's what Christmas is about. His life being born into you. So you can experience hope. What area of your life do you need this? And you've thought, and maybe you just need to start to think. Maybe you need to start thinking harder and begin to doubt a little bit. Maybe you need to ask some people. And then maybe finally you just need to say, okay, this is the process of, of, of hope. Whatever it is, God, you take it. Overshadow me. Take your life. May it be born inside of me. Where are you? Please do not make this thing some random 31 minutes on a Sunday morning. If you're here and we're walking through Mary and we're walking through the sweat and the work of hope, where are you? Please apply it. For real. Talk about it. Call somebody and say, I need to put some sweat underneath this. I need to work this thing out because I believe if you do, man, you will feel a joy. You will feel what the scriptures say is a peace that passes all understanding. And that's, man, who, who, what could be a greater Christmas gift uh, than that um, this year? Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father God, we are coming to uh, this part in our service where we pray and we thank you for everything that you've done. And you're calling us to give you more time. And God, you're calling us to give you, place our hope in you through our talents. And here, even now in this moment, this is a, um, a response to the gospel of our treasures, of our money. That you um, own everything and we are the stewards of it. And you ask us to give back to you. May we find our hope in you even with our money. God, continue to challenge us this way. Father, we thank you for Mary, this teenage girl, who thought and pondered. And she was nervous and she doubted some. But she did it in community, God, and then she surrendered. Teach us to be like Mary, this imperfect woman 
who had faith that you worked in her. Faith that you are the God who would come as a baby and then die. And the world would laugh at you, but then you would rise again on Easter Sunday. And God, we are still praising your name today, which speaks to the eternal hope that you are. We love you, God, and we need you in your name. Amen.